You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. morning again. Great to see you in worship. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. We're moving through the book of Acts, 28 chapters, about 25, 30 years of first century church history, Acts 12. One of the uh, core values at Westwind Church, foundational, one of the six core values, is what we call relentless prayer. And so... Uh, Because Jesus was a man of prayer, because the Bible from beginning to end promotes prayer, we want to, as Jesus encouraged, to become a house of prayer. When you think of the word relentless, what comes to mind? It's deliberate, right? It's persevering. It's all-in kind of prayer. About a week or so ago, I was uh, reminded of relentless prayer. We're in New York. My mom is 86. She lives alone. Ellen's mom is 89. We call her Nani. She lives alone. So we had the privilege to stay with Nani for about a week. So midweek, Nani comes to me and says, hey, Keith, I got a new prayer journal. I was like, that's cool, because I know Nani's a praying grandmother, great-grandmother, mother to Ellen. And she says, you know, the first thing I put in my prayer journal is the family. And I regularly pray for you and your family. Thank you, Nani. I knew that. A few days later, we're hanging out at Nani's. Nani comes with a old prayer journal. She says, hey, you got a minute? Let me show you my prayer journal, the last one. And folks, this is about half inch, three quarter inch thick prayer journal written in every page from beginning to end. And Nani began to open her prayer journal and record prayers that she's prayed for family, her children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Where's Ellen? How many great-grandchildren? A lot. Forget it. Put her on a spot, get in trouble. A lot of great-grandchildren. I mean, they're bursting at this. It's in the 20s, right? Yeah. She doesn't talk to me when I preach. Okay. Um, So... She went through some of the things that she prays for and the people she prays for. Neighbors, church members. She's been in our home church for almost 50 years. Stayed the course, her whole faith journey. Remarkable, remarkable faith journey. Then she's talking about the mailmen, the garbage men that she prays for. And person after person, scenario after scenario, and seeing God's kingdom come. I was reminded through a dear saint, 89 years old, of what relentless prayer was about. How inspiring. So I hope you have your Bibles. I want to invite you to stand, and we're going to read uh, through Acts chapter 12. We get to cover a few verses today, but we're going to take them in chunks so we don't lose you. So let's start out with the first five verses. Again, Acts 12, here we go. Luke records. About that time, King Herod. Now, I don't want you to think of Herod the Great. I want you to think of his grandson. His name is Herod Agrippa I. We're a little bit beyond King Herod the Great. He's dead, died before the Holy Family came back to Nazareth, Matthew chapter 2. So about the time, King Herod cruelly attacked some who belonged to the church. And notice this, folks. These are tough days. 
and he killed James, the bro John's brother, with the sword. You know who James is? This is one of the inner three. This is Peter, James, and John. This is Jesus' band of brothers. One of them's dead. And who took him out? Herod the Great's grandson, Agrippa I, with the sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, notice, you get popular by martyring Christians. How interesting. How sad. He proceeded to arrest who? Peter, too. Who's Peter? Peter's one of the inner three. Peter, James, and John. Now we're going after the big gun, the top gun. His name is Peter, the apostle, the one who's given the keys to the kingdom of the heaven. During the days of unleavened bread, which is a religious festival, Passover, for the Jews. After the arrest, he put Peter in prison. And notice this. This is remarkable. He assigned four squads of four soldiers. Who can do the math? How many soldiers? Right down front. The students nailed it. 16 soldiers. Why 16 soldiers? Peter's a big gun. He can't screw up here. The church is on the hot seat. 16 soldiers assigned to watching this guy, putting him in prison, intending to bring him out to the people after Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, and this is the key verse, verse 5. But whenever you see that contrasting word, Scripture wants to get your attention. But prayer was being made earnestly to God for him by who? A praying church, a relentlessly praying church. A church that believed my father's house will be called a house of prayer. Please be seated. And so, folks, before we dive into the talk, context is king. What's going on here? Let me give you a few other nuggets, and then we'll look to the lesson. Acts chapter 9 is a hinged chapter in, in the book of Acts. Why Saul of Tarsus, the hater of the persecuted church, comes to genuine faith in Christ. He was persecuting. The church was ravaged. Those were difficult days. Stephen was martyred. And Saul gets converted. He has an experience with the living, resurrected Christ. Comes to faith in Christ. And peace and rest seem to settle on the church for a season. The gospel begins to advance from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and then over, as we've seen in the past few weeks, to Jaffa on the coast, to Caesarea. Gentiles are welcoming the gospel and being welcomed into the church. But the time of peace, the time of rest was short-lived. Persecution, once again, is knocking at the church's door. We heard a little bit about another in the fire. And the struggles you and I all face in life, right? Think about the early church right now. There was time of peace and rest, but boy, there was time of turmoil. Can you imagine right now some soldiers from Rome rushing in here, dragging off some of the leadership, putting them to the sword, throwing them in prison? Folks were one day from Peter being martyred. One day. That's what the text says. Difficult days. What I love about this passage is how did the church respond? They were desperate. And they did what they only could do. They prayed and they prayed relentlessly. They prayed earnestly. And so if you have your Connect card, I always like to start out with the blessing. This is kind of the, the thesis or big idea of the passage. And here it is if you're taking notes. 
because of the testimony of the New Testament church, each one of us should engage in relentless prayer, folks. These things are written for our example. The early church is an example of relentless prayer. And so three engagements this morning. Let's take a look. Engagement number one, relentless prayer. Two key words here is urgent and continuous. Look again at verse five. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. I love that word earnestly. It's a power word in the ancient language. And it literally means to pray intensely, to pray like Nani with great devotion, to grab hold of heaven, to believe that God is bigger than any of the mess in our life, any of the fires and storms we go through. And so they prayed. The book of Acts, I believe, could be called the book of prayers. It is remarkable to me how much praying is going on in the early church. Could it be that's one of the primary reasons the gospel advanced from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth? I think that's rhetorical. They were a praying church. What I thought was important to do is do a little bit of review about the church that prayed. Why? To inspire us, because Luke wants to inspire us, to challenge us to be people of faith and believe that God not only hears our prayer, but answers according to his good, acceptable, and perfect will. So let's go back to Acts chapter 1 for a moment. Let's go on a journey of 13 chapters, and we're just going to cover the highlights of prayer. But you realize prayer starts out in Acts 1? 120 believers, followers, disciples are meeting, somewhat fearful, somewhat intrepid. What's next? And what happens? They're devoted to prayer. The Holy Spirit comes, the church is born, the gospel is preached, 3,000 come to genuine faith in Christ. And then we move to Acts chapter 2, and what does it say? There's great devotion among the church to the apostles' teaching, breaking of bread, fellowship, and to the prayers. They were a praying church. And then Acts chapter 3, what happens? Peter and John, they're on their way to the temple to do what? During the hour of prayer, three in the afternoon, they were devoted, they were continual, they were intense, they were praying. What a beautiful picture. And then as we saw some weeks ago, there was conflict in the church. Don't let that rock your boat. Conflict isn't the issue. It's how you handle it and resolve it. And so in Acts 6, the conflict reared its head. The apostles engaged. Seven godly individuals were reared up. And the apostles reminded the early church and us that we, the apostles, must devote ourselves, give ourselves to two things, to preaching, to prayer, and the ministry of the word. The apostles were Men of prayer, what a great example. And then you push out a little bit. Peter's expanding, right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, now to the ends of the earth. He's up towards Joppa. He's up towards Caesarea Philippi on the coast. He's moving towards the north in Israel. And he encounters an individual, a Cornelius, a man who's dedicated to praying, who's given his life to prayer who always prays day and night. And it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And then we push through to 
Acts chapter 13. Let me show you this first, if you have your Bibles, and it's wonderful. We're going to see this in a few weeks, but now we're moving all the way north out of Jerusalem to a place called Antioch, and I want to read this to you. As they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them to. And after they had fasted and what? Prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them off. There's only one, one conclusion, folks, when we look at Acts 1 through Acts 13. One conclusion only. The church was relentless. The church was continuous. The church was passionate about prayer. They believed God not only heard, but answered their prayers. That is why Samuel Chadwick said, and I know you don't know who that is, but that doesn't matter. His quote is what matters. Intensity is the law of prayer. I want you to chew on that just for a moment. Intensity is the law of prayer. That we grab hold of heaven. We grab hold of God. That we're serious and intentional about praying. That is the pattern of the church. That is what's happening right now in desperate times. Peter's in prison. James, one of the inner three, was just martyred. These are desperate times. And what does the church do? The church prays. And so let's go back to another in the fire. You know, it's only a matter of time to you and I face things that are way above us, right? Life is difficult in and of itself. And then life is daily. And we never know what today holds. I've mentioned before that I talk to my mom daily, and we do, so we talked this morning, and her heart was broken. We were at our home church just a few Sundays ago. I got a big hug from a dear saint in our church, Mary Grace. Mary Grace passed away this week. This is a dynasty family in our home church. Nine children, mom and dad, raising their whole family. Many missionaries went out. And she got sick last Sunday. She passed this Friday totally unexpected. Let me ask you a question. If you're the Duttweiler family right now, if you're Mary Grace's husband, where do you go? How do you respond? Folks, there's only a few options. Shake your fist and say, man, this ain't fair. God, what are you doing? Or humble yourself. And you're broken in your desperation. James is dead. Peter's in prison. He's next. God, we cry out to you in desperate times. Folks, don't run from God. Run to God. Don't let the pain and hurt and struggle and challenge in life cause despair and distance. The church models to us in the worst of times. James is gone by the sword. The Jews are happy, celebrating, and Peter's next. What do they do? They pray. Let's make this very practical. One of the great heartaches in life, we did child dedication this morning. The reason I wanted to bring this to the forefront today was to connect the dots to child dedication. Raising children, there's no formula, folks. You love God, you teach the scripture, you try to model, you invite people, family, church community to help. But sometimes it doesn't go so well. Many of us know the name Billy Graham, right? We know Billy? 
I'm sure he's known in this area, right, Billy Graham? Somebody say, we know who Billy Graham is. And Olive Westwind said, we know. All right, so good. So, Ruth doesn't get a whole lot of press. You know why? She was a godly presence. She was a gal behind the scenes, nurturing the journey. There were times when Billy was gone six months out of the year while she's raising how many children? Five. Just imagine. Most of us don't realize two of her children went AWOL, drifted from the faith, and those are difficult and dark days. Billy's this international figure. The kingdom of God is coming. Everybody knows Billy. Books are being written. He's booked out globally. There's Ruth behind the scenes, raising the five children to go AWOL. One of his names is Franklin Graham. Do you know that name? I hope so. That's his son. He went AWOL for a while. How did the Graham family respond? Prayer. Ruth wrote a book. You need inspiration, families. You need inspiration for children who have drifted. Read a book. Prodigals and those who love them. How do you love them? You just love them. But you love them by continuing to pray, Lord, restore. Lord, heal. Lord, do something in their hearts that only you can do. And guess what? He did. Franklin Graham today has really taken the baton from dad has an international ministry probably best known for Samaritan's Purse. I hope you're familiar. It's a relief ministry that has the gospel of Jesus Christ at the center of it. Yeah, he drifted. Yeah, those were dark days. Yeah, their hearts were broken, but they prayed, they persisted, they were relentless, they were devoted, and God's kingdom came. So church, where does that put us today? A few months ago, we had 40 days of prayer can honestly say in the past three plus years is one of the highlights of my ministry journey at Westwind. I love to see God's people pray. It was fun just coming here sometimes when we were repurposing this building, preparing for October 3rd, and just see individuals walking through room to room praying. What a joy it was. So we began something beautiful. There's prayer. Let's continue it. Let's continue to be continuous and, and intense about our praying. Secondly, engagement number two, relentless prayer is by faith and expectance. And so we got a good chunk of scripture to read now. Let's take a look. Follow along with me. This is a pretty cool passage. A few weeks ago, we talked about, do you believe in miracles? Add this passage to address that question. Let's see how miraculous things were in the first century. So, on the night before Herod Agrippa I was to bring him out for execution, Peter was bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers, that's weird, while the sentries in front of the door guarded the prison. Folks, this was high-level prison, 16 guards, sleeping one soldier on one side and the other chained. I mean, this was serious stuff. Suddenly, what happens? An angel of the Lord appeared, a light shone in the cell, striking Peter on the side. He woke up and said, quick, get up. Then the chains fell off his wrists. Get dressed, the angel told him, and put on your sandals. 
And he did so. Wrap your cloak around you, he told him, and follow me. What I really love when I just read the Bible, I just read it, what you see is what you get, right? I just read it plainly. Here's this dialogue with this angel like, hey, get up. Put your coat on. Let's get the heck out of here. Okay. Just imagine being Peter. So he went out and followed, and he did not know that what took place through the angel was real. <laughs> Check it out. He thought he saw a vision. He thought he was dreaming. After they passed the first and second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them by itself. They went outside and passed one street, and immediately the angel left. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grass and from all the Jewish, what the Jewish people expected. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark. By the way, this is John Mark who wrote the gospel. His mother's in this believing faith community where many had assembled and were praying. He knocked at the door in the gateway and a servant named Rhoda came to answer. Now notice the response of the church. This is pretty remarkable. She recognized Peter's voice. And because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in, announced that Peter was standing at the gateway. She's announcing to the prayer meeting, to the group of believers that are earnestly, relentlessly, continuously, and persistently praying, and look how they respond. I love it, folks, because I'm looking in the mirror right now. You're crazy, they told her. But she kept insisting that it was true. Then they said, it's his angel. <laughs> Where did I get this stuff? Peter, however, kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were what? Would you be astounded? Of course we'd be astounded. I think the church had a high expectation. Peter's next. The Herod dynasty, can't go into all the detail, they were power mongers. They lived with an iron fist. They were fearful about their rule in Israel because they were appointed by Rome. They did everything to appease the Jews. The Jews are happy that James is dead, Peter's next. They just, I think, already checked the box. But they prayed. <laughs> God answered the prayer in the affirmative. And how did they respond? Rhoda's nuts. Must be an angel. Must be a ghost. Must be some other answer. So let me ask you a question this morning. Can you identify with that believing community? Folks, I can. Here's why. Prayer is the voice of faith. Think it through. Prayer is the voice of faith. The reason we don't pray as we should is because we're lacking in faith. When you have faith, yes, Lord, you'll pray. That's why Hebrews has this whole chapter, Hebrews 11, by faith, by faith, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. Anyone who comes to him must believe that he is, and he'll reward those who do what? Diligently. Somebody tell me. Thank you. There's two with me this morning. How about you at home? Do I got two more? That's four. Diligently do what? Seek him, pray, thanks. Feel alone here sometimes. Folks, this is real. This is real. But I know something about you because it's true of me. We struggle to believe by faith that God is going to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask or think. We struggle with that. The early church did. They're earnestly praying, and yet you're crazy, Rhoda. 
No, wait, wait. He's at the door. Nuts. Must be an angel. Must be a ghost. Must be a spirit. Must be his twin. Must be a lookalike. It's Halloween. Who knows what? Right? I mean, that's the weirdness. But it does suggest we struggle to have faith to pray. So here's what I would say. Lord, I believe. Help my own belief. Father, I want faith so I can become a person of prayer. We all want that, right? We want to lean into this. We want to enjoy it. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus encourages us. Can I give you a passage from Matthew 7? Keep asking. Why? It will be given to you. Keep searching. Why? And you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who searches finds. The one who knocks, the door will be open. What man among you? If his son asks him for bread, we'll give him a stone. If he asks him for a fish, we'll give him a snake. And I love this next thing because I can relate to it so well. All of you can as parents. If you then who are evil or sinful know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? How much more? God who is righteous, who is benevolent, who is good, wants to bless the socks off his kids. I love to bless my children. Not to spoil them. Not to entitle them. I believe in a good work ethic. I believe in a partnership. But I love to bless them. That's God to us. And so the church is praying earnestly, Lord, help Peter. This is tough. Don't let what happened to James happen to Peter. And God affirms their prayer. I want to go back to... Oh, maybe 10 months ago. Can I show you a picture? It's on our website, Extending Our Reach. Do you remember those early days, church? Do you remember that? When we were wondering if God was going to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask or think, look that way if you would. So to my right is a restroom. You know what that used to be here? A conference room. I sat in that conference room with the owner of this property one day. I came to the meeting demoralized. I came doubting. I came believing that, you know what, this ain't going to work out. I sat at the end, here am I, Bob Boysen's right there, talked to him the other day, we reflected on that story. I said, Bob, A, I'm discouraged, B, if we're able to move forward, I just need more time. Churches always do things slow. I have no idea if the generosity is going to be there. Bob, it doesn't look good. These are challenging moments. He looks across at me. And Bob's just this beautiful man. He, he, he's the one who lets us park right here on Alice Road. Bob boys in homes. Bob looks across at me. He's got this big smile. And he says, Keith, this is going to happen. I was like, Bob, you got more faith than I do. And he did. And guess what? We left that meeting. We kept the journey going. And God did exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask or think. Can I show you a verse? One of my highlight verses, Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. Check it out. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, 12 generations, forever and ever. Amen. To him who is able. Let me ask you. Is God able to fill in the blank? Is God able to restore a broken relationship? A friendship that used to be tight and intimate that no longer exists? Is he able? Is he able to give forgiveness in your heart and restoration and reconciliation? I believe he is, according to Ephesians. 
Is your marriage struggling today? Is he able to mend the broken hearts, to move you towards each other instead of apart from each other? I believe he is. What about a wayward child, a drifting child? Is he able to hear your prayer, to work supernaturally in their heart, to bring that prodigal home? Luke 15, he's able. We were reflecting the other day, Ellen and I, and it's a pretty emotional story. We came about three and a quarter years ago, and we heard families praying who couldn't have children. So we joined the journey. We didn't know these families as the current church did three and a quarter years ago, but prayers were going up for family after family after family after family. Today, at least in the past three and a quarter years, God has blessed Above and beyond, he is able to open the womb. That's the picture in for Samuel, like he did for Hannah to these families. The other day I heard of another story. And I'll tell you something, the joy in my heart, Lord, you are able. You blessed exceedingly abundantly beyond all we could ask or think. That's God. And we stand in awe of him. We give him glory because praying expectantly is praying by faith. And if Hebrews 11 teaches us anything, he honors faith. He rewards those who diligently seek him. Two points. Pray one, intensely and continuously. Pray by faith. Pray expectantly. And then finally, let's tie it all together. Number three, relentless prayer. And I like this point. I struggled with how to package it. Relentless prayer is a mystery and filled with wonderment. Stick with me for a moment. I want to unpack this with you because I think it's going to be a real encouragement. Look at verses 17 through 19. Motioning them with his hands to be silent. This is Peter. He explained to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Report these things to James. That's the brother of Jesus, by the way. And the brothers. He said, then he departed and went to a different place. At daylight, there was great commotion among the soldiers as to what could have become to Peter. After Herod had searched and did not find him, he interrogated the guards. And notice, guys, what's going on here. Four times four, 16. And he ordered their execution. The law in Rome was, you let a prisoner escape, it's your life. 16 men are dead. That's Herod. Then Herod went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. That's exactly where Cornelius was from the past two weeks, Caesarea on the coast. Let me ask you a question. Do you see the tension? Luke wants you to struggle right now with prayer. You know why? Side by side in this passage, James is dead. Peter is released. How do you reconcile that theologically? There's only one answer, dear friends. Mystery. You can't reconcile it. Please don't try. God is seated on the throne. He has a good, acceptable, and perfect will. He'll bring glory to himself. He'll bring good to his kingdom. He said, James's martyrdom is good. It brings me glory and advances the gospel. Peter's release is good. It brings me glory and advances the gospel. Two different scenarios, the same result. That's the only way I can reconcile it. We let God be God. Amen, church? I hope so. In 1952... 
a Princeton doctoral student asked Albert Einstein a question. And I love this question. What original dissertation research is left? Einstein replied, and I love this, find out about prayer. This is a brilliant man at a brilliant university, Princeton University in New Jersey. Find out about prayer. You know what Einstein was saying? Prayer is a mystery. How do you figure it out? But I know one thing. The church prayed and God worked. There was continuous and intense prayer. There was a prayer that was by faith, expecting God to work. And yet, in the end, your will be done. So let me tie it all together. The elders of West Wind Church <clears throat> want to invite you a little bit more intimately into relationship with us. Why? Because there is a directive in scripture that we, the church, should be reaching out to the elders and saying, hey, times are tough. We need help. Family, friends, whatever it is, finances. Regardless of the issue, we have the privilege, according to scripture, to reach out to the elders, to reach out to each other, and to pray. So let me close with a passage. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn there because I want you to see James chapter 5. James chapter 5 is so beautiful. The women are studying James uh, Friday morning. Uh, just a great study. But here's what uh, we read. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and do what for each other? Let's be like the church. Let's pray for each other so that you may be healed. The urgent request of a righteous person is powerful in its effect. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, yet he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again. And the sky gave rain and the land produced its fruit. That same passage encourages us not only to pray for each other, but when there's difficult times, when you're really struggling, when you feel like you're in over your head, what are you supposed to do? Call the elders of the church and we'll come, we'll anoint with oil, we'll pray. So it's a privilege the body of Christ has to pray for each other, but also there are times God invites you to please call the elders. So let me put a picture up there. Good looking guys, would you agree? You know, there's four great sages up there because they got the beards going. And there's one, he doesn't even have a mustache anymore. What's wrong with that Keith Missile guy? So this morning, we're going to close with a worship song, and I want to invite the team up. And then after the worship service and for this day forward, folks, we want our elders to be available. They are, they have been, but we want you to know we are. So we have Greg Argenbright, good-looking guy. Greg, you want to stand? You're the senior statesman, right? Hey, Greg. Then you got Mr. Ball back there. Check out that cool beard. Where's Jason? Yeah. Yeah, he's, oh, hey, my thing is gone. Who's next? Oh, Mr. Dean. You want to talk about the sage of sage. We call him Gamaliel from Acts chapter 5. And then you got the young in. How old are you, Mr. Tyler? Stand up, please. What are you, like? 30s. And then I'm next to Greg, right? So we, we have a pretty balanced group. This team loves you. We pray for you every Thursday when we come together. We try to intercede as we can, but we're always available.
This morning after the worship set, our elders are gonna be both sides of the sanctuary. We don't wanna create fanfare here, but we wanna do ministry. If you have need for prayer or praise, share in your praise, your stories, how God is blessing you. We would love to celebrate with you, pray with you. But if there's a specific need, slow down as you exit. Join one of our elders. They'll encourage you in prayer and uh, we'll trust this kingdom comes. May God make us like the early church, relentless in our prayer. Let's worship together. Please stand.